pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. 水煮肉片. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Hola, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David G. Martins, and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And my guests today are a third-generation fishing family and work hard to bring home the very best fish. The goal of their company, Sina Sea, is to provide consistent premium quality that everyone can enjoy. She has a master's degree in nutrition and food science with a specialty in qualifying omega-3 in fish and determining preferred handling practices for premium quality. He does the majority of the fishing for Sina Sea, but they also source from fellow fishermen who share their high-quality standards and commitment to sustainability. Sina and Rich Wheeler, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Thank, thank you so much. How are you guys doing today? Great. So two important questions before we start this whole thing. Have you ever been to Portugal? No. You miss it. I love that. Uh, the, the Portuguese are uh, supposed to be uh, incredible fishermen. And do you know any Portuguese words? Do you want me to teach you one? I would love that. <laughs> Since it's your area, do you know how to say fish in Portuguese? Both of you are going to learn this. It's peixe. Peixe? Peixe, yeah. So, Rich, next time you like wake up at 3 a.m., probably that's the time I wake up to go, you know, to the high sea. You'd be like, hey, Sina, I'm just going to get some peixe. That's all you have to know. <laughs> peixe. Perfect. It can be for the both of you or who wants to answer this. What was your first memory of fishing? Going out to fish? Um, I guess I'll go first, Rich. My father and grandfather grew up. My dad fished and my grandfather commercially fished, and they all long lined out of Seattle up in Alaska. So I was a teenager when I started going out on my dad's boat on the long liner and there would be a crew of about five. And I remember we were out fishing and there, the seas weren't horrible, but there's definitely some lumps out there. And he says to me, Hey, why don't you jump in the galley and cook up some eggs? And I was like, Oh, okay. Not only did I not know how to cook, but you get in the galley and it's this really old stove and there's these weird metal bungee cords to hold the pans in place because the boat is rolling. And anyways, I ended up with eggs sloshed all over the stack, all over the stove. I mean, to do scrambled eggs on a rolling boat is actually much more difficult than it sounds. <laughs> That'd be my first. Mine would be, um, well, probably going through the Ballard Locks for the first time, you know, and seeing the family uh, waving at you from the boat and heading out to sea. How old were you? Let's say 26. Okay. Okay. My only time fishing, and if you can call that, we were just at the dock. It wasn't on a boat. And I was probably five, six. And my stepdad, he, he, I don't even know how to use the proper terms, but he was, you know, when he was launching the thing, whatever, the hook got stuck on my, on my cheek. So I was like, oh. we'll never, we'll never doing this again. So that my love, my start in love for fishing stopped right there. You were talking a little bit about this, but so you're a third generation fishing family. Can you talk a little bit about the history of Sina Sea? Um, well, my grandfather, Lars Jangard, he immigrated from Norway in the 30s and he had 13 brothers and sisters. So about half of them ended up immigrating. And when they came over, they would each hook each other up. It was kind of like you come over and you get a boat and you start fishing. So they lived out of Ballard in Seattle, which is a, a hotbed for Norwegian immigration. And um, they all started fishing. So my 
grandfather fished, my great uncle fished, uh, and then my dad fished. So C2C came from that, but, you know, really, um, then Rich started fishing. So we have a long legacy of fishing, but C2C is newer. So we've been doing C2C for about seven seasons. We've just been spoiled with great fish all our lives. And we really, it was actually looking at the, um, kind of the grass fed beef industry and going, wow, it's really cool how these ranchers are promoting their, their meat as something special, you know, above what you can get at the grocery store and how they handle it. And we're doing all of that. Um, maybe we could promote what we're doing and get, get our catch directly out to people. So that's where Cena Sea really came in at that time. We were, we were kind of like a lot of fishermen bringing our catch to our friends and neighbors. And actually Rich would spend a week um, bringing fish around to people. And so it kind of came really from that organic place of wanting to just get our fish out to more people. So one of the things you're very proud of, and you mentioned even on your website is that your fish stays with you from beginning to end and you handle the entire process. How is that different from your competitors And how did your education, for instance, your background in nutrition uh, influence that process? Well, it's really special in our industry. Um, usually there's a fisherman and then the fish is handed off at the dock and it goes to a processor. It actually exchanges many hands throughout the process. And the way that we catch fish, uh, we're part of the community in Cordova. And Rich, you could probably speak to this, but during the process of Sina Sea, we were having our catch cut by somebody in the beginning, a small local processor. And when their business went up for sale, their plant, we bought it. So now we catch the fish and we actually cut that fish in our own custom processing plant. And then it goes to me and I ship it out. So it, it truly does go direct all the way through. And Rich, you can probably speak more to it, but it's that, I don't know of anybody else that does that every aspect like that yeah vertically integrated all the way through from all the way through catching the fish uh bleed the fish handling the fish offloading the fish watching it get processed here all the way through to selling it when we go home during the winter time so it's a pretty vertically integrated business so let me ask you this rich if i tell you like oh i have you know i all cook for you i have this great halibut or this great steak what do you prefer oh See. Uh, of course, halibut. Of yeah, course. of course. <laughs> I, I would tell you, let's uh, let's break out a cedar plank and do halibut on a cedar plank. Perfect. One of the things that a lot of people know the quality of the fish is the quality of the fish better frozen right after you catch it, or or fresh from a fish stand three days later. That's a really good question because there's a fresh frozen thing, and I say, you know, if you're on the boat or you live at on the coast and you can get fish fresh off the dock by all means go for that but if you're not right there getting it off the off the boat or off the dock then your fish your fresh fish can very often be five days old or seven days old so I bring it in and processing it and freezing it in quality you know freezing it very cold uh, vacuum sealing it we wrap in parchment that's going to be fresher tasting than something that has sat in a fresh case. We, we stand by that pretty strongly and we eat a lot of fish. And I, I remember when my dad first started ordering, of course, he's, um, was a fisherman. He started ordering in the wintertime and he had the first bit of fish and he was just blown away at the quality in the wintertime. 
you know, so it, it really is special that way. You mentioned your dad a little bit. So as you mentioned before as well, your family comes from Norway and it came from in the 30s. Is there anything that you are aware of uh, when it comes to technique or even to the, the whole process that is done differently from Norway and United States? Yeah, so a lot of uh, long landing, of course, has always been a little bit more uh, up the Norwegian's alley for some reason, like coming from Norway and cod fishing and everything else. And then evolving to more of a... Uh, in the olden days, even seen his dad would tell me of stories that they'd go out and make 21 day trips uh, up in Alaska, leaving from Seattle, come up to uh, go out west, you know, to Dutch or something like that, make a trip and then bring that trip all the way back to Seattle. And some of the fish was old. They would, you know, layer ice the best they could. But our practices today, uh, how I broke in was uh, seen his dad was really top quality guy. He demanded that uh, the quality of the fish was uh, foremost. From there, uh, after he retired, I was, you know, continued on the boat for another, I think, 10 years uh, later. And, and we, uh, we can turn those, you know, good quality practices all the way through. So it worked out real well. Just to add, as far as the, the difference in the quality would be uh, the biggest difference from when he was there to, or when seeing his grandfather started to what we do today is uh, circle hooks going from a J hook to a circle hook. And uh, uh, that was probably the most revolutionary thing that has happened in the industry. Could you explain just the difference since people like me that have no idea what you're talking about right now, Rich? So just. Yep. yep. So a J hook is just your traditional hook that we would uh, see is, you know, all growing up. It's just a, the shape of a J and they would catch fish. But uh, then somebody invented uh, the circle hook, which is in this shape of a circle and uh, the catch uh, ratio went up just hugely. It was like uh, the people that did it, uh, they couldn't figure out how they were getting beat. Yeah. And it was uh, all by circle hooks. So Rich, for you, what's your day like when you go out for fishing? Because actually the two of you, for people listening, you guys are not uh, together right now in the same room because you're in Alaska, right? And Sina, right. she's in uh, Washington, Seattle. Uh, so what's your day like? What time? You know, I'm sure you don't wake up at 9 a.m. So what time normally? How, how will be a, a good day? How would you describe a good day for you when you go out so to high sea? I, I salmon fish more. So our open hours would begin at like 7 a.m. Um, and then, you know, I'll get up at uh, generally 4.30 in the morning, pull the anchor, uh, looking around, looking for a spot. And then... Um, going from there and then the opener will start and throw your bag out and uh, drag your net out and uh, run in your net looking for hitters and everything else. Well, I think also, you know, at a set for a 7 a.m. opener, you would go out the night before yeah. and sleep on anchor. Yeah. Right? On a good day, what's like, if Cena calls, you'll be like, hey, did you have a good day catching some, some salmon? What's a good number? I think a, a good number would be, you know, 200 fish day would be, you know, a decent day. 200 salmon? Just two, yeah. Two, yeah. I'll have salmon for the whole year. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, good copper river salmon for 200 days of the year or uh, uh, 365. That's a good day. I'm glad you just said that because that will be one of my questions. Alaska is very famous for having the copper salmon. Why is this fish so popular and the difference between other salmons? So the, the reason why this fish is uh, different and unique from anybody else and the people that want to say it's all marketing, just uh, really the truth of it is they just don't understand fish. Uh, this fish is, uh, has a 300-mile journey up a tumultuous river. Uh, I think that the, the elevation change is 3,000 feet. 
you know, it's glacial fed, super cold. The fat stores that it takes to get up uh, this river system is incredible. And it's, uh, it is the real deal. This fish is completely different. You can see it when you catch it. Just, it's just an unbelievable product. And the, the fat they're storing to, to get up that river is in the form of omega-3s, of course. So in fish, it's really nice that the fat, the omega-3s are what makes it healthy and what makes it delicious. So that's what makes it taste good. Fat equates to moist flavor and moist texture, rich flavor. So when you have a higher fat, it's higher omega-3s, healthier and better tasting. One of the questions a lot of people um, uh, have to deal with is the whole farm race against, you know, wild gods. Can you explain the pros and the cons of that? So first, our, our world population has grown to the point where farm fish is, you know, probably a necessity if we're all going to eat fish to be pretty transparent on the deal. If we all ate wild fish, it would put a real strain on the, you know, the ecosystem. And so there is a place for farm fish, but the difference is this is a wild product that goes up the rivers, you know, and returns naturally and uh, without any antibiotics and things such as that. In my opinion, I, I don't eat farm fish. I eat wild. As a personal choice, the wild, the wild is going to taste better. Uh, it's going to be healthier for you. And it's a healthier choice for the ecosystem too, just because if you have the choice, I think Rich is kind of talking, you know, if you are privileged enough to have the choice of wild versus farmed, the other thing to think about on farmed is kind of, it's not perfect either. You know, it's not a perfect, it's, um, it can have issues. The farmed salmon can, you know, sometimes there's antibiotics or color, you know, that kind of thing, but it also has an effect on the area. Um, they can have fish lice and some diseases. And so there is, you know, troubling aspects of farm fish for sure that affects the rivers and the areas that they are in. And it can sometimes affect the wild stocks. So I like to, you know, it's important to have fish for everyone, but I think it is, you know, I would put my preference on really making sure that the wild stocks are being managed sustainably and that the, the rivers and the oceans are being um, taken care of so that those wild stocks have healthy returns. I think that is where a lot of the emphasis should be because the fish farming has its own, you know, definite issues with, for the planet and for the fish. And for humans, I, I like what Rich was saying that that he was not going to. He wasn't. I mean, he was very blunt in a way. Like, yes, I I I, I prefer this, but you know, our population. If we're all eating just wild caught, eventually they'll be right. It'll be will be pretty much to zero. But so, do you think it's a trend more and more to go for farm raise? And do you think consumers are more aware of the problems or the pros and cons of that each has, or not necessarily? Because one can be cheaper than another. Do you think it gets worse in the future or do you think there'll be more and more uh, different companies doing, you know, for instance, farm raise against two wild caught? I, I just want to say one thing real quick, Rich. I think that there's a price difference. It, usually wild is more expensive. And I think it's just important, like you just said, if we all ate wild fish, the stock would go down to zero. And I do want to make an important point there that, um, you know, our stocks are managed for sustainability if everybody went out and bought wild fish it would be gone from the store but not from the rivers so we don't catch all the fish so the consumer doesn't need to worry about being the one to eat that wild last wild salmon because 
our sustainability practices make sure enough salmon, uh, you know, escape and spawn. So the limited supply is just to remember, it's the supply at the grocery store, if that makes sense. So that if the stocks were to go down, you would have less available at the grocery store because we would be letting more fish through to spawn. And then the price would go up on the wild. So the price, I could see the price going up, but it wouldn't be that people at the store feel like responsible that they ate the last wild salmon. Does that distinction make sense? Yeah, mm -hmm, yeah. it does. Uh, that's a great point uh, to, to get back to what Cena was saying about the, the, you know, the sustainability. And that, that is it right there. Uh, we are so tightly regulated that uh, I could be starving and my well-being as a human being is completely overlooked for the sustainability of this fish. You know, uh, Alaska is the model of uh, sustainability. It's pretty cool. So there is, you know, uh, the unfortunate part of it is that Alaska is this premium product. Uh, Alaskan wild fish is, it's, it is it. It is what everybody desires. Why is this? One, uh, because of the one, uh, it's still cold waters up here. We take really good care of this fish and uh, it's sustainably harvested. You know, there's just, uh, it's, this isn't the wild west out here where you get to take whatever you want. We're really regulated. We're observed taking the fish at all points and the fish's well-beings and the runs and the returns are always put ahead of anything else. And like you were saying, it's coveted because the the quality, the eating, the taste and texture coming yeah. out of that cold water. Like Richard's just saying, they're, they're icing up boats. The boats have ice. Their fish are taken care of right away. And that makes a big difference. You know, <clears throat> getting the fish down immediately after coming out of the water. I think small things like that make a really big difference to the quality down the line. You know, what we're dealing with here is real American families at work here. This is a family business. You know, my uh, my kids come and work here in the facility. Sina uh, is supported here. We have uh, 20 some odd employees that are also supporting their families here. Uh, this is, and this is just 60 North and Sina Sea. This is all on wild fish. You know, there's no farm fish that comes through here. So this is, you know, a real deal. You mentioned, and you guys can talk a little bit more about if you want, the word sustainability. And we hear that a lot more and more in the food business. What steps do you take, you already mentioned a little bit, to maintain sustainability? Well, sustainability is really um, fully baked into our industry. So we have, our fishing is regulated. We have permits and the the fish is counted coming up. So this is salmon. I'm talking about specifically uh, halibut and black cod are regulated differently and separately. Um, they're, they're counting the fish coming through. They have escapement targets and they're not going to open that fishery to fishermen um, in, unless they're reaching those targets. And, and they're watching that throughout the season. It's not just, oh, we reached it and the floodgates are open. You know, the fishing the Copper River area where we fish is about the size of, I think, Rhode Island. It's it's really huge. It's not getting covered with nets. It's just they're allowing fishing during 12-hour periods or 24-hour periods. It's only twice a week. And they're watching those numbers. So sustainability is really about making sure that the run, there is enough fish, you know, breeding for the next year, for the next year's run or the next four or five years. So sustainability is about the future run and not catching so much that there's nothing left, obviously. And, you know, in Alaska, that's, it's actually, you know, in the constitution is written in, I mean, Alaska understands that this is what 
their whole state thrives on. So they've been doing using sustainable practices way before the rest of the country um, or world because it's so important. But to us, sustainability is even more, you look at you know a multi-generational fishing family and most up here are, we're not unique in that. We talk about bringing our kids out, teaching them to fish sustainably and responsibly. And, you know, knowing that there will be an industry and, you know, fishing for them if they chose, like we had. So it, it for us, it's, it's, it's really taking, it's all about zooming out and taking the much longer view. I know you said it's more uh, salmon normally you catch, but is there any fish that you catch that is partic particularly difficult and why? So uh, the other, prior to uh, my position at 60 North and, and uh, where I'm at right now, Uh, I longlined uh, for Halibut Black Cod, and we'd go uh, you know, 100 miles offshore off the continental shelf. It, it's always a challenge. Your, you know, your deep sea fishing conditions can come up. Uh, your catch varies, you know, and uh, and it's one of these things that you know you might land on them and you might miss them, and so yeah. it's always you know a challenge there, particularly when you're you know so far offshore. So I have a game for you and you have to play. It's one of those things you cannot say no, sorry, because it's my podcast. You can go to... The Portuguese attitude. <laughs> exactly. We can go, you can go, to, uh, just a little side note, a lot of people already know, because especially people listen to the podcast, I say over and over again, but our big fish, actually, it's codfish, although it's bacalhau, it comes from Norway, actually, although we're, very, we're a coastal country and we have a lot of fish, but our codfish comes from Norway and it's uh, salted. So it's completely dry, cured, but in salt and you got to take, we got to take all the water out and then actually to eat it so but it's our main main dish in portugal is anything made with bacalhau which is cut so that's just a little side note but so imagine both of you can go to a desert island you can take your kids if you want or not that's up to you you can take one protein one veggie one fruit and one dessert i kind of assume which protein which protein you're taking but Sina, you can start oh wow i would have to say It's a real toss-up between Copper River salmon and black cod with uh, sablefish because those are excellent. Plus, you'd have the nice omega-3s. Mm -hmm. And I would take, I don't know, I love all veggies. Brussels sprouts popped into my mind because I love Brussels sprouts. But I cook with a lot of onions, so I, I don't know if I could live without onions and garlic. Okay. That's two. So I'm cheating here. And dessert, uh, I would go with ice cream. <laughs> And the fruit? Did you say fruit? Sorry. Oh, did I say fruit? Oh, no, I have this theory that apples are one of the best fruits or actually foods in the world, a perfect apple. So I'll take that. How about you, Rich? Copper River King. You... Vegetable. Uh -huh. Asparagus. Okay. Fruit, blueberry. Do I get any beer? The logistics afterwards, you decide. You can even make your own <laughs> beer at the island. No, this is just the, sorry. <laughs> And your desserts? Would be, uh, oh boy. Strawberry shortcake. Good choice. Okay. Ooh, that's fine. I change. We trade. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know you wanted ice cream, Rich. <laughs> What was your first memory of taste? Oh. Now it's Ooh. the questions. Yeah. See? That's 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 the yeah. question. Yes, that is the question. Licorice. Okay. Yeah, I remember tasting the licorice plant when I was a young uh, boy, 
uh, in Tacoma? I know I tasted a lot of things before this, but um, what comes to mind is arguing with my sister the first time I ever saw a kiwi uh, fruit and it was green and they're weird looking. And I remember just saying that's absolutely cannot be good because it's green and weird. And then cutting it open and trying it and going, oh, okay, that's actually delicious. I, <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> that was, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> the most underrated ingredient for you. Oh, I think I already touched on garlic. Garlic. Overrated ingredient. You know I'm going to take that back on a change in cinnamon. Rage, I'm sorry. No, I'm joking. You can. Which one? <laughs> cinnamon. cinnamon. Cinnamon is the, the most underrated. Uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. Overrated ingredient? Overrated. Too much garlic. <laughs> <laughs> and Cena eats too much cinnamon, right? That's the overrated. <laughs> oh, I would say... I, I want to say like maybe uh, for cooking like a high priced wine because you could get away with a, probably a low priced wine for your cooking. What is the best breakfast you can have? Biscuits and gravy. Oh yeah, I would say a homemade egg McMuffin, egg like fried egg sandwich. That sounds perfect. What is the strangest combination food wise when you see people putting two or three ingredients together that you just cannot accept? I once went to a friend's house and the the mom fed us for snack a rice cake with mayonnaise and peas that's that was stretching too- <laughs> that, that's stretching like, okay white bread peanut butter pickle okay that's weird yeah that's weird i've seen it so the name of the podcast is turning chickens and breaking dishes those actually are two portuguese phrases Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations you can answer these on a personal level or a, combine, a combination of the company. But do you think you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? I'd say we're turning chickens. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. At the end of the podcast, and this one will fit perfectly, I always tell my guests to sell their fish because in Portugal, if someone tells sell your fish, that means to talk about yourself. In this case, <laughs> it's, even, it's even better. So where people can find you, what's in the future for you? Uh, I know people can order online if they want. Just just sell your fish a little bit. Um, you can find us on Instagram. That's kind of where we're the most active, but we really like people to get on our list. We um, I send out very you know personalized emails to our list that we call them our VIP. They get things like invited, you know, when we have Copper River King um, pre-sales, they're the first to know and things like that. So I would say definitely go to the website. Um, you get a free downloadable cookbook of how we cook our fish and get on the list. That's the best place to be. Perfect. Uh, two questions before we leave. First one, what's the fish with the highest omega-3 in it? Sina. Copper River King Salmon. Okay. The one with the lowest, do you know? That a lot of people might think it has a lot, but it's actually a myth or... Halibut is very low. It's very people like it because it's lean, and so it's very low fat. I love halibut. I was thinking about the two of you yesterday because I was I bought lobster, live lobster for the embassy, and actually, it's I always tell some some friends when they ask me, it's for me the most under uh, overrated ingredient because you buy this big lobster, and mm-hmm. when you, when you take the meat out, it becomes a tiny tiny thing. There's nothing, so that that always makes me frustrated. But anyway. And do you still remember how to say fish in Portuguese? Fish. Peixe. Did you get it, Rich? 
Oh, okay. Yeah, Rich, he was smart. He was saying like very like, shush, shush. so to see how so I could say, yeah, absolutely. You got it. Uh, you got it. So this was a pleasure. You're breaking up. You're breaking up. <laughs> this is an absolutely pleasure. Alaska is one of the states I would love to visit. Unfortunately, it's one of those states that takes 9 million hours to get there. But yeah. dog sledding and all of that, I, it's, you know, I might go fishing with you. Yeah, love to love to have you out. Uh, I'll tell you honestly. So when I broke into fishing, uh, the Portuguese were regarded as very, very good fishermen. I broke in with a, a guy that actually broke me in. He was broken by a Portuguese down in Port Bragg, California. Uh, it's a big deal. It's you know, so you come from uh, great fishermen. I always, uh, I always say Portuguese people are awesome. Nobody believes me just because I'm Portuguese. But I'm, thank you. I'm with you. I want to go sometime. It sounds beautiful. Please, yeah, please go. So. You, you would love it. So thank you very much for both of you. I know this is busy times for both. Rich probably tomorrow will go back on the sea, and you know I hope to catch up with you guys again soon. So thank you. Thank yeah, you. Bet. Have a good thank one. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks. You too. Bye bye. Thank you very much, Cena and Rich, for coming on the podcast again. I want to thank all of you for your support. It has been an absolutely pleasure for me to do this podcast. So keep telling your, all your friends about the chickens we are turning and the dishes we are breaking. Don't forget also to follow the Instagram page, Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes. You can also support this podcast going to buymeacoffee.com slash dmartins. And if you have a concern, question, suggestion, or if you just want to tell me that Portugal is just an amazing country, you can send me an email to info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com. I will see you next week. Eat a lot of fish. Stay safe. Be happy. Adeus.